Welcome back on this Wednesday. Joined, as always, by vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, going over the latest COVID headlines. I want to talk testing next, Dr. Gorfinkel, and rapid tests in particular, and whether or not they're still useful, because there's been lots of questions regarding their efficacy when it comes to the BA2 subvariant. Are rapid tests, are they reliable, doctor? You have great question. We actually do not know the answer to that. We know that it picks up three out of five cases of Delta, but when it comes to BA2, which is Ontario's dominant variant right now or subvariant of Omicron, we actually don't know just how accurate it is. You know, it may be a picking up half. That's just a, an educated guess. But that said, we know that when people have symptoms, it's more likely to pick up a positive test. When you're asymptomatic, eh, a little less so. That's a serious problem with it. You know, so if it's a positive test, you've got Omicron. But if it's a negative test, you have not ruled it out. That's the thing. And so here's a great question. How do I test? Are you going to ask me that question? I am going to because I saw you had a bit of a Twitter thread earlier today about this. You went into uh, quite a bit of detail when it comes to swabbing both uh, orally and then uh, the nasal swab. Absolutely. It's the combo pack testing. You take the swab. Now you've got to count to five in each of these places. But you have to put it in the lower gums first, right between the gum and the cheek. Hold it for five seconds on each side. Say ah, and then swab the back of the throat. That's a tough one to hold for five seconds. That's yes. a long five seconds. <laughs> but you know, it's the best you could do. And then that same swab is stuck up the nose. And I mean as far as it'll go. It doesn't have to be the nasopharynx, the brain biopsy, what they call, but just up in the higher recesses of the nose and hold it again for five seconds on each side. Now remember to keep the swab soaked in the, in the solution for a good couple of minutes. That's a part that I see a lot of patients not doing. They've got to keep it soaked in that solution before taking it out and dripping it onto the test card. But, you know, it's, it's exciting. When we do the test that way, it's, it's making the most out of that kind of a test because what we're trying to do is make sure we pick up whatever virus happens to be there. If we're just swabbing in one tiny area and quickly, we're far less likely to detect it. Okay, that answers maybe my next question. Why is it more reliable when we swab both in our mouth and our nose? Uh, obviously, we breathe through our mouths, we breathe through our nose, so we should hit both here when we're talking about something that is an airborne virus? Absolutely, and basically, rapid tests can only detect whatever virus lands on the swab. So PCR tests, I like to call it photocopier. PCR testing, that's where the nasopharyngeal swab, the swab goes all the way to the very back of the nas nasal pharynx. That testing photocopies. It actually magnifies any small amount of virus that's there. But rapid tests can only detect whatever lands on the swab. So we're trying to swab a greater area to see if we can detect whatever virus is or is not there. All right. Since we're talking testing, let's move from rapid tests to maybe the test of the future. The U.S., they have approved uh, this past week a breathalyzer, a new COVID-19 breath test. Can you tell us a little bit more about this, Dr. Gorfinkel? This thing is so cool. Imagine, it's called the Inspect IR COVID-19 breathalyzer. So imagine somebody gives you a tube and says, blow into this fat plastic straw for 10 seconds. And this thing, which is the size of a fax machine, can then pick up volatile organic compounds. That's the stuff you smell like when somebody's got a bad cold. That's the stuff that comes up. 
And within three minutes, you get a green, which means you pass, you don't carry the virus, or a red, which means you're infected. So imagine if the testing could really be that easy at scale, we might have less transmission. So it comes down to this. How good is the test? Well, the company, and having tested about 2,400 people, tells us it'll pick up 9 out of 10 cases. That's pretty good. That's actually better than the rapid test by a mile. And apparently it's very specific as well. So if it, if it tells you you have it, you really do have it. So that's pretty exciting. The mm-hmm. U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave it emergency use authorization, meaning they're watching it carefully to see what happens. Health Canada has yet to receive an application for it. All right. So having said that, do you think that this is, and I hate to use this phrase because it's been overused during the pandemic, but is this a game changer, possibly, potentially a breathalyzer test? And it could be something that uh, in the not too distant future, a lot of us are walking around with. We believe we might have had an exposure. Uh, We're feeling uh, symptoms that we can quickly check uh, our breath, uh, use this breathalyzer device. Well, I think it's got a long way to go before it's going to go into the drinking water. First of all, you have to ask. Who's going to be administering the test? Can you imagine? I ask you, Jeff, personally, personal question. Would you want to be administering that test to somebody? Don't forget, you're handing them this thing, you're holding it, and they're blowing out hard. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You're within six feet. Right. Yeah, you got your mask on, but you're testing a lot of people. So that's a, that's a threat, potentially, to those who are administering the test. On top of it, the manufacturer is still saying, whoa, we, still, we want to confirm the tests with PCR. You know, they're, they're being careful there. So, and could it be influenced by other things? What if, what if I know I have COVID and I want to hide it? Can I eat candy or gum? What, what effect would that have? What, what about diet? What if I ate a big, I don't know, a spicy hamburger or something? I don't know. Right. So these are some questions that remain you know, to be answered. And also, we have no idea how much this thing is going to cost. Right. Well, that's not a small thing, too. Like, Okay, let's so got about a minute left, Dr. Gorfinkel, and I want to just end on this and get your take and ask you about wastewater data. Because as you know, and so many of us do, that is what the COVID caseload has been based on here in the province uh, since we have dropped, since we're talking about testing, uh, a lot of the testing. Just how accurate is that wastewater data? Because there's very few of any other countries or jurisdictions around the world that are making some of the predictions Ontario has or assumptions that Ontario has based on wastewater. Yeah, so wastewater is reasonably accurate. The problem is it's not telling us who has what and where exactly. So these are broad things. They were really never meant to be applied the way they're now being applied. You know, so what is a pandemic? A pandemic is not one large outbreak. It's made of many, like arguably millions of micro outbreaks. So the best information comes from knowing who's infected exactly where, and that's a serious downside of wastewater testing. It is accurate, and it can, it can go right down to a single building, you know, so they could test the building's wastewater or an entire community's wastewater. And it can tell us what variant it is. It can tell us what subvariant it is. So that's all exciting. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is when it comes to the individual, that's where it's, it's, it's lacking a bit. All right. Got to leave it there for another week. Dr. Gorfinkel, much appreciated. Thank you, as always. We'll talk again next Wednesday. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher. And we're back after a break. Stay with us.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.